And today I want to start speaking on healing father wounds. Healing father wounds. How many of you have experienced wounds because of your fathers? You don't have to raise your hand. Some of you have got fathers in the room. We don't want to embarrass them. <laughs> All right. But that's what we're going to talk about today. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? Are you steady, ladies and gentlemen? Well, let's get going. I want to start off with this definition. Father in the Greek is the word pater. And it means generator. It means originator or transmitter of anything. It's the author of a family animated by the same spirit as himself. One who has infused his own spirit into others. One who actuates and governs their minds. That's very powerful. So a father is an originator. And that's why very often we'll talk about the father of modern medicine. The originator of modern medicine. The one whom it started with. Amen. And so when we're talking about freedom this morning, I want us to understand from the start, from the get-go, that you can pray for people. We can do very strong deliverance prayers. But God's best for us is that within our family units, the role of the father and also mother, we're going to talk about mother wounds in a couple of weeks, but the role of the father is to create an environment where their sons and daughters grow up and experience freedom in Christ. Amen. Amen. And that's the starting point of healing. Healing takes place in community. And the primary community God has blessed us with is family. Fathers are so instrumental. They're instrumental tools in God's hands for bringing and maintaining freedom in their children. And so I'm speaking to a number of groups this morning. I'm speaking to you if you're a father or a future father. Because we're going to find out what the mandate for fathers is. Because if you don't know what your mandate is as a father, you'll pursue other things. You'll think it's just provision. It's way more than provision. And we're going to unpack what that mandate is. So I'm going I'm to speak this morning to fathers. But I also want to speak to those of you who have been fathered or have not been fathered effectively. Which is everyone in the room, right? I'm speaking to you this morning so that you see that, oh, so this is what a father is supposed to do. Hence, the gaps in my own life, the wounds in my own life, explaining why I am the way I am. For those of us who do a lot of work in counseling people, in coaching people, it's so amazing how much we trace back to father wounds. You know, you watch those movies and we're like, oh, she's got daddy issues. That's, that's true. Most people do. And so we want to go into that. And I don't want anyone to be feeling condemned. I want you to be feeling challenged this morning. Amen. Amen. To be feeling challenged, to be saying, Ooh, so I need to actually up my game in this particular thing we're calling fathering. Alright? So we're speaking to fathers. We're speaking to people who've been sons and daughters to try to help you to see where the gaps, cracks and leakages are in your lives. And then I'm also speaking this morning to women who are married and women who are unmarried. To the unmarried woman, I speak to you so that you know what to look for in a husband and the future father of your kids. Amen? How many of you know that the primary role that God has given you as a wife is you're the helper of your husband? That's your primary role. I know in this modern time, these modern days, we don't like to think that way. And many people have shifted from there. But we often preach and we say, if you want to understand a principle in the Bible, look at the principle of first mention. So let's talk about when a wife was first mentioned in scripture. What was in God's mind? In God's mind, he said, Adam, I'm going to find a helper suitable for you. Didn't he say that? Right? So if you don't know... Those of you who are not yet married, if you don't know what your dude is about and where he's going, do you know what it's like? It's like, imagine someone who's a surgeon and they've got an assistant. But the assistant is clueless about what type of surgeon this person is. The assistant is clueless about what type of tools this person deals with. So the guy says, scalpel. And then they give them a mallet. Or they just give them something else. 
Does that make sense? So it's important to understand for the wives who are here, right? To understand what is the calling of your husband in terms of fatherhood so that you assist him in terms of fatherhood. Do you know that a lot of women today, they try to protect their children from the husband. So the husband wants to discipline the kids, but a lot of moms as natural nurturers are trying to block that. Are trying, they're acting like the, one of the other kids. Oh, let's see, let's see how we can stop you from getting in trouble. Instead of actually saying, let me help my husband in his process of trying to discipline the children because as a father, that's one of his primary roles. Are you following me this morning? So this message is to fathers. This message is to sons and daughters. This message is to wives. Future wives, current wives. Amen. I want to say to you this morning, fathering is a good thing. If you believe in God for a child and you haven't yet got a child and you believe in God for a child, when you pray to the Lord, know this, the Bible says every good gift comes from above, right? Every good gift comes from God. And it's interesting because scripture here shows me that being a father is a good thing. Look what the Bible says, Psalms 127 verses 3 to 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are what? Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Some translations talk about their enemies at the gates. In ancient times, the gates were a place of legislation, the city gates, right? This is a very powerful statement here. So fathering is a what? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Proverbs 23 verse 24 says, The father of a righteous child has great joy. One of the sources of delight and joy in our lives is children if they're walking in righteousness, isn't it? How many of you are parents right now of grown children? Your children are grown, they're adults. Alright? How many of you, when they walk in, in righteousness, it just brings you a sense of delight, doesn't it? A sense of like, hey, Lord, I'm glad they turned out okay. <laughs> Where's Ishe? Is he with, with, with young Mchengeti? Okay. Ishe, your dad is nodding here. Okay, so you must be happy. Right? The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. In other words, fathering gives you joy. When your kids turn out right. So let's ask ourselves the question, what is the current state of fathering in this nation today? What is the problem we're dealing with? What is the current state of fathering? A new report on the living circumstances of young children aged between zero and four years, right? And this is from Stats SA. And this is like very recent, last couple of years, right? Shows that while 93% of young children have both biological parents still living. So in other words, although we've got lots of orphans in this country, as a percentage, most kids out there actually have parents. But the challenge is, do they live with their parents? Uh-uh. Have a look at this. While 93% of young children have both biological parents still living, only 36% of them live with both biological parents. Now think about it. God's design, and we spoke about family, God's primary shield a couple of weeks ago. God's design is to reflect his image through mom and dad. So that children growing up, as they see mom and dad relating to each other, as they see what their father is like, what the mother is like, they get a good, accurate picture of Father God. And yet we see that in this nation, only 36% of these kids between the ages of 0 and 4 live with both biological parents. Most young children, 43%, live with only their biological mother. 
2% live with their biological father. So when you hear people saying, I'm a single dad, I'm a single dad, that's only 2% in that that particular situation, right? 2% live with their biological father only. And 19% do not live with either of their biological parents. 19%. In about 2014, what they found was that there were over 1.1 million births. Over 1.1 million births that were registered. But 64% had no information on fathers. 64% had no information on fathers. So do you know what this tells me? There are a lot of guys out there in this nation sowing their wild oats, but they're not personally involved with their children. Amen? Now you say to me, Paul, we've got a crisis in this nation. There's corruption. There's poverty. There's this. There's that. If you look at the research, you'll see that there's a link between poverty and Households that are either child-headed or where there's only a single mom who's there. But where you have the mom and the dad, you'll notice that the income is higher. If you really study the stats. So this tells me that this problem of fatherlessness is also proliferating the problem of poverty in this nation. Is everyone following? So don't look at the economics and just think like, oh, it was because of that decision that was made by that minister and so on. When we talk about poverty in this nation, it's primarily an issue of our morality in this nation. Simple as that. There's a guy, David Blackenhorn, he wrote a book called Fatherless America. And he said, the United States is becoming an increasingly fatherless society. So this is not just about Africa. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with his or her father. Today, an American child can reasonably expect not to. Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. It is the leading cause of declining child well-being in our society. It is also the engine driving our most urgent social problems from crime to adolescent pregnancy to child sexual abuse to domestic violence against women. Yet despite its scale and social consequences, fatherlessness is a problem that is frequently ignored or denied. So we're in denial about it. Dads are saying like, no, I need to provide for my family. So it doesn't matter that I'm going away six months at a time for economic reasons. Doesn't matter because that's my source of provision. I was listening to Chip Ingram speak quite recently and he said that 40%, in fact, I love the way he says this, he says four in 10 kids in America, right now, as we speak, are going to place their head on their pillow without a dad in the home. That's 40%. That's in the United States. Does everyone agree with me that we've got a problem and a crisis when it comes to fatherhood? You've got a lot of people who are impregnating women today, but very few true fathers. Anyone can do that. If your plumbing is working, you can do that. It's funny how as a pastor, sometimes you have to give people permission to laugh at certain things. You, know? you say certain things and people are like, and then I start smiling and then people feel like they can laugh. It's okay to laugh in church. Amen. How does fathering affect this generation? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 14 verse 26, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, it will be a refuge. If I fear the Lord today, in other words, revering the Lord, I have a secure fortress and my fortress becomes a refuge. Because I fear the Lord, it becomes a refuge for my children. Do you know that today, because of the faith of certain fathers and mothers, certain people who had been prodigals are going back to their old traditional values. Isn't it amazing? I was reading something about Miley Cyrus. All know Miley Cyrus. Okay, some of you don't know, it's fine. You don't have to know her, right? And what do you think of when you think of her personal brand and the kind of things she does? You think of a lot of dubious things, don't you? As a pop star. 
if I was reading the latest about her and in, in a particular Christian magazine and they said now she's, she's actually changed. No more drinking, no more substance abuse. She's literally quit hip-hop. She said that because of the sexual undertones in that music, I don't feel it fully represents who I am. She's about to get married. And some unsafe people were commenting on it and saying, oh, but she was a feminist and now she's going back to traditional values and they've got an issue with it. But Christians are saying she's actually now going back to her traditional Christian values that she had grown up with. There's something about being a praying parent. There's something about being a praying father, a praying mother. There's something about being a praying grandmother, grandfather that will result very often in certain people who had gone astray coming back and saying, wait a minute, this is not fulfilling anymore. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. Now there are different types of parents. You have the type of father who is absent. He might be physically present but absent. A father who has some kind of addiction is continuously focused on meet my needs. And everyone is traipsing around this individual trying to meet their needs. That's an absent parent. That particular father has got zero affection and there's zero discipline in the house. Just picture it on a graph. Then you've got the other father who's the permissive father. You know the permissive father? A lot of stepdads are a bit like that. The permissive father has got 100% affection. You know the type of dad who's always cuddling their kids and so on? They will kiss, 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 send them to school. Oh, I feel guilty. I didn't give them enough hugs. I'll do it again. Right? They're wonderful that way, but there's zero discipline. And the children who come out of those families very often end up narcissistic. They have temper tantrums. They were never disciplined. And they kind of feel like the world owes them something. Then you've got the type of father is what we call the authoritarian father. This one is zero affection, but 100% discipline. And you're scared of them. Come on, how many of you grew up with dads like that? <laughs> and I'm seeing people who fit into a certain category. I won't mention the category, right? Laughing at that. But a lot of people grew up with the authoritarian father. And you say to those people, did your father love you? And they're like, yeah, I know, I know he did, Paul. I know. I know in my head. They say, did you feel the love of the father? They didn't feel it. And now they're struggling to love their own kids, to expre express affection to their own kids, to make themselves vulnerable to their own kids. But the biblical parent is what we call the authoritative parent. And the authoritative parent has got lots of affection and also lots of discipline. Amen. They'll discipline their kids, but at the same time show them tremendous tenderness. That's the tender warrior. Amen. Question, what type of father do you want to be? Where are you on that continuum? On that graph, where are you? Robbie Lowe, vicar of St. Peter's, Bushy Heath, Church of England, wrote an article in 2003 in um, Touchstone magazine. It dealt with a 1994 study in Switzerland on the question of whether a person's religion carried through to the next generation and if so, why? What causes someone's faith to pass on to the next generation? Some of you might be familiar with these stats and I think there have been multiple studies that have confirmed this. And this is what they said. They, the findings were staggering, but on, upon consideration they make sense. This is what they found, ladies and gentlemen. There is one critical factor. It is overwhelming and it is this. It is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future attendance at or absence from the from church of the children. It's the father. Remember we said that father is that Greek word pater. In the Hebrew it's the word ab. In Aramaic it's abba. 
what people co- commonly say, say Abba. That's the word for father. And that word literally means originator. Generator. And what is interesting is, let's see how big of an effect it is. If a father, they, this is what they found in the research. If a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. So we've got many families today. Some of you grew up in those homes. How many of you grew up in homes where mom went to church but dad chilled at home? Raise, you can raise your hand. Right. How many of you just followed the way of mom automatically despite what dad was doing? If that was you, then you're one in 50. Because children question and they're like, this is odd, so mom is going, but dad isn't. And remember when children are growing up, especially below the age of 10, they see their parents as godlike. They're like, there's nothing wrong with dad staying at home. Because dad is perfect, he's my hero. So I don't have to also go. That's how children think. Your children will model after you, dads. They'll model after you. What they found was if a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers, regular or irregular, based on the action of the father. If a father goes but irregularly to church, regardless of his wife's devotion, between a half and two-thirds of their offspring will find themselves coming to church regularly or occasionally. A non-practicing mother with a regular father will see a minimum of two-thirds of her children ending up at church. In contrast, a non-practicing father with a regular mother will see two-thirds of his children never darken the door of a church. If his wife is similarly negligent, that figure rises to 80%. So what the mother does, does affect the children. If mom and dad don't go to church, the figure rises to 80%. 80% chance of the kids also not going. Is everyone following? That's why the enemy, the devil, Diablos, Satan, hates Christian marriages. Because having a Christian marriage and being a church-going family is almost a guarantee that for the most part your children will follow suit. The decisions we make today as fathers will affect the next generation. I've noticed a lot of people starting to come back to church when they start having kids. And you know what they say? They say, yeah, because mainly for the kids. Yeah, because we want our kids to grow up in a nice Christian way. Yeah, so we're now coming. And it's actually been found statistically that some people drop out of church. They don't find church essential anymore. If you read a book by Sam Rayner on the subject, it's called Essential, the Essential Church. People drop out of church because they don't find church essential to meeting their needs. But it's been found that when they actually end up going back into certain life transitions, like fathering and mothering, a number of them start coming back for that reason. Let me give you some examples of some father wounds. There's an interesting story told by a particular counselor, great counselor called Jeff Eckert. He talks about this guy called Jack. And he says, Jack is a 42-year-old who entered my office for counseling after his wife discovered his long history of internet pornography. By the way, one of the major causes of people going into sexual fantasies is actually fatherlessness. And I'm going I'm to show you this. So his wife discovered his long history of internet pornography and trips to local massage parlors. As I began to explore his history in an attempt to understand the deeper issues involved, I was struck by one of Jack's statements. My father always provided for us and was home every night after work. But even though he was there, he was never really present. As a father, you can be there but not there. He was there but he was never really present. How present are you fathers for your kids right now? 
You see, because what happens is often the things that are important to our children aren't really that important to us. My, my last born, those who want us to have more kids are like, why are you saying last born? Say third born, Paul. Right? Daniel, I think it was his first time paintballing. He went paintballing yesterday, went to, for a party. And ever since doing that, he can't stop talking about the paintballing. And so early this morning, I mean he had already told me about it last night, but early this morning he comes and he's saying, Daddy, Daddy, and then, you know, the first time I was hit it was here, and then it was here, a section where my helmet wasn't there, and then here, and then my next one was here, Daddy, are you looking, are you looking, and then here, and then here, then I was hit here, ooh, I can still feel the pain from one of them. Now I'm thinking, I want to pray over my sermon, I'm thinking the other kids are saying, we want this Daddy, we want this. But here's what we have to train ourselves to do, dads. What might not be that important to you is very important to him. And how we brush them off can make them feel, you know what, the stuff that's important to me is not that important to my dad. So my stuff is not important. So I'm not that significant as a person. How we respond to our children in terms of our emotional presence will impact their self-esteem as they grow. You see, I could have paused and just spent time getting into Daniel's world. I could have found something to affirm him and say, Daniel, I'm blown away by your memory. How do you remember the order in which people hit you? I was reflecting on it afterwards and I was thinking, how does he remember that? The first one was this one, then this one, then this one, then this one, then what? Yeah. That is amazing. It was an opportunity for me to affirm him. Or I'll do so later, but it was an opportunity for me to do that. <laughs> Amen? There was a man who tells an interesting story. He had an experience where he was watching basketball. And you know when you're watching basketball, a lot of the points are scored right near the end, aren't they? Right, And he was watching, 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 watching. And his son, his five-year-old, comes to him and says, So, so, dad, dad, listen to me. He says, I'm listening, son, I'm listening. No, dad, dad, listen to me. I'm listening, son, carry on, I'm listening. Dad, listen to me with your eyes. <laughs> and immediately he thought, my son has got a, prob a problem with anatomy. Then he realized his son was communicating a much deeper th truth. Dad, I want you and I need you to be fully present. So this guy who had been struggling with sexual fantasy, with pornography, he says, my father always provided for us and was home every night after work. But even though he was there, he was never really present. Thus begins an exploration of the question, what is the father wound? Like Jack... Then many men grew up with fathers who returned home after work but were never really active as sharpening agents in the lives of their sons. These fathers provided for their sons material needs but they were strangely absent when the time came to satisfy the needs of the heart. The needs of the heart. What are your children's needs of the heart? Such as intimacy and connection. Fathers like this may have been available to coach their sons' baseball teams or provide yard work. However, they were less likely to model intimacy in relationships or to be an active presence when their sons were dealing with the pain of rejection by peers. Lonely and discouraged boys become isolated and alienated men. In this isolated state, men continue to desire closeness and connection. So we have that need for intimacy. But then we go to the counterfeits because that need was not fully met. Is everyone following this? But they often have no concept of the how. How do I achieve it? It is because of this quandary that many men seek out sexual fantasy. When I help people who've struggled with pornography, one of the key questions I ask them is, what do you imagine? And it's interesting, you can see that this person is not just strong on sexual appetite, but very often is deeply wounded in insecurity and is looking for someone to just say, I'm a hero. And the thing they end up imagining is themselves as the sexual goddess or god. 
like figure who's admired by women. And you see the root issue isn't primarily sexual. The root issue is primarily emotional. It is because of this quandary that many men seek out sexual fantasy in an attempt to find some sense of intimacy. Many men feel a void in their lives, often created by the wounds of the past, and some men attempt to fill that void with illicit sexuality. Men's desire for intimacy and connection is real, powerful, and appropriate. But when men try to satisfy that desire in the form of sexual fantasies and acts, they find merely approximations or shadows of true relationship and connection. There's a guy called Andrew Comiskey in his book on sexual and relational healing entitled Strength and Weakness writes, Though the Father intended for us to be roused and sharpened by our fathers, we find more often than not that our fathers were silent and distant. More shadow than substance in our lives. This kind of shadow presence is not what our Heavenly Father intended for our relationship with our earthly fathers. The good news is that as Jack, the individual we've been talking about, began developing relationships with others who were truly present and experiencing relationship with an Heavenly Father who's always present, things began to change in his life. That's the impact of an absent father on their sons. What about the impact on their daughters? Some of the ladies here are probably thinking, what about me? What about daughters? Pastor, say something about us. Don't leave us out. Okay. God has located you. When a girl is about 12 or 13, that's where the role of a father is crucial in terms of the father's voice. Remember, the role of a father in a house is to bring identity to the children. Crucial role. That's why father is pate, originator. They give identity to their children. And what is interesting is the pattern we've seen in when this girl is going through adolescence. And if she hasn't been affirmed by her father, where her father is saying, you're beautiful, you're my princess, you're wonderful. I find delight in you. Some girls look for it in sugar daddies. In psychology, we call it transference, where you transfer that thing that God had given you from your father. And if you didn't have it, you now look for other people, surrogates as it were, who can actually impart that to you. And you look for it in the wrong places, either in sugar daddies or just in guys in general. The guy can even be younger than you and you're looking for that thing in them. If you don't look for it in men, if you're strong academically, you'll look for that external validation in your academic work. Then you get addicted to getting 100%. You're consumed by this and you're only happy when you get 100%. And it's either 100% or you failed. 95% is not good enough. And I see these women in the workplace today, when they're now in the workplace, some of them who weren't perfectionists academically, they, they're bound by the fear of disappointing that boss. But it's really the fear of having disappointed a father. So their husbands are complaining day in, day out, saying, how come when I ask you to do something for me, you just procrastinate? But when that person over there who you work with asks you to do something, you drop everything and you do it. And if she understands her psyche, if she understands what she's going through, the wound she's going through, it's a father wound. I remember coaching one particular lady and she had been unfairly dismissed from a particular organization and she was between jobs and she said to me, Paul, you know what? My lifestyle was this. My husband almost divorced me because for two years I would go to work at 5 a.m. I would get back home at about 7 p.m. We'll do the dinner and then afterwards I'm working again. There's someone with kids. And I shared with her this dynamic of what one needed in a father. And she agreed with me. She said, Paul, that's me. So my question to you this morning is, how is your current disposition? How is your current emotional state being influenced for this father affirmation that you're longing for? And to what extent are you running to God your father? Father God. As your strong tower, as your refuge. I'm telling you right now, if you don't go to God, ladies and gentlemen, you will always go to something else. 
And that becomes your God. What are you running to? What are you running to? What do you wish your father gave or did for you that you didn't get? It's so important to come to that place where we say this, this and this and then we release and forgive them. Because if you don't release and you don't forgive, you end up with what we call a bitter root judgment. What is a bitter root judgment? The Bible tells us that with the same measure you judge another, you'll be judged. In other words, you see a lot of people saying, Oh, I don't like my father. He did this, he did this, he did this. And they never release their father. And they go and they do the same thing. And that cycle continues into the next generation. We see it happening so often, don't we? The next one, next question for you. What did you receive from your father that you most appreciate? I remember challenging the men some months ago. I think it was last year sometime in a men's group and I asked them these questions. What did you receive from your father that you most appreciate? Because Ishe's dad is here. I remember what Ishe said. My, my, I was about to say my mom. My wife tells me that I've got <laughs> my wife tells me that I've got a memory of an elephant. I remember what Ishe said. He said what I appreciated in our father is that he allowed us to choose the careers that we wanted to. He gave us that freedom, that liberty. That's not very common in our African society, is it? We come from collectivist communities, guys. And so people make decisions not based on individual conscience, but based on fear of banishment from the in-group. So you go to your parents and you say, I want to do artwork. Please sponsor me to do artwork, to do art. A degree in art, fine art at university. And your parents first look and say, have we drawing pictures? <laughs> Has anyone ever done that in our family? No. Sorry, my son, no. I'm going to do accounting or law. Amen. I shared with you a couple of weeks that one of the needs of every child in the whole world is what we call differentiation. The Bible tells us, teach your children or instruct them in the way that they should go. Not the way you feel like them going. Not the way their brothers and sisters have to go, but in the way they should go as an individual. It's differentiation. It's a need that every child has. What did you receive from your father that you most appreciate? What did you find most challenging? What do you currently find most challenging about being a father? What are your current gaps in fathering right now? What are your current gaps in fathering? What's your default parenting style? That's an important question because we tend to parent in the same way that we were parented. By default. A lot of people today are not living by design, they're living by default. And then sometimes some people do what we call compensation parenting, don't they? What is compensation parenting? It's the experience I had with a particular lady. I spoke to her and I've shared with this with you before, I'm sure. And I said to her, so how do you discipline your children? What boundaries do you have for your children? Oh, Paul, we don't believe in boundaries. Now, Paul, you know, we, we, have, a, we have an approach, boundaryless parenting. So our kids just emerge and they just discover themselves. We don't have boundaries. Thought, okay, that's interesting. Then I said to her, were your parents very strict? Yes, they were very, very strict. So we want to make sure we don't do the same thing. So compensation parenting is where you go the opposite extreme of what your parents were like if you didn't like it. And I see people doing this even as managers. Oh, my boss used to micromanage me. So Paul, you know what? I don't even coach my, my staff. I just let them discover things for themselves. Because, oh, I don't want to be like that. And you go the opposite extreme. Are you using reactionary methods when you're parenting your children? See, God is taking us to a place where we look and we see what does the word of God say in how I father so that we can raise up a generation of children that are free and whole. Amen? So just be careful of compensation, parenting. You see, often our children's view of God becomes skewed because of our own proclivities and wounds. If you are performance orientated and perfectionistic, often your kids, what happens is it translates to shame in your children. Because they never feel like they're good enough. How many of you grew up like that? You make the bed 
and your mom will always like remake it for you. And after a while, this is what happens. After a while, you start thinking there's no point in me making it because I'll never get it right. Or you begin to strive in all aspects of your life. I know of a particular, um, it was like two girls, they were siblings, and I had to counsel them at one stage. And they had a problem with social phobia. They're extremely shy. I think I've told you this before. And I found that the root cause was that their mom would always answer questions on their behalf. You know those parents, very doting, but they know boundaries. So people come to the child and say, so what sport do you like? Oh, she really loves tennis nowadays, but we're thinking of shifting across to ballet. And then the child becomes lazy because what it communicates is there's no point in me saying anything because my mom will always answer and she'll do it correctly. And these kids grew up with social phobia, extreme shyness. Some of you have defined yourself based on your wounds. You're extremely shy as a person and you've got a fixed view of yourself that this is just me, Paul. I will always be like this. But you're only like that because of the wounds that you've experienced in your life. And God wants to heal you. One of the things I saw as my wife was praying um, at, at the start, I won't tell you the vision that I actually saw, but it was speaking basically of lies. That for many of you, you've believed lies. Lies about yourself. I'm not good enough. Lies about other people. They have an unfair advantage. Lies about how the world works. Conflict is bad. Someone will always get hurt. So let me do whatever it takes to avoid conflict. Especially kids who grew up in families where there was marital breakdown. In their minds, they're thinking, fighting, arguing, it always produces a breakup of the family. Let me do whatever it takes to avoid that. And some of you are being raised up as leaders in church, leaders in the workplace, but you can't have difficult conversations with people. And when you do, you take everything personally. I know of a particular vice president in an organization. And this person is based, I won't say where the person is based, they're based in a very powerful city. And one of the people who, was, who reports to them was just telling me about how, you know what, we confronted her on a particular thing, we gave her feedback, and she just broke down and she started to cry. Because she took it as, so I'm a bad leader. This is a strong personality, but she couldn't receive feedback. I can tell you right now, if I was to have a one-on-one -on -one with that person, you would trace those traits right back to the fathering process. You see, being a father is not just about standards. It's also about heart. It's not just about standards, it's also about heart. It means reflecting God's tenderness and his patience as well as his justice. I can tell you right now, each of us here in this room, we've got a leaning, a bent towards one area. Some of us are very principled and it's all about rules. And we're satisfied with ourselves when our children obey the rules. But how much of God's heart and God's tenderness are we communicating to these children? I know men today who struggle to show affection toward their children because they don't have it in them. You pass on who you are. Amen? There's that wonderful quote. Consciously we teach what we know. Unconsciously we pass on who we are. I see it happening with a lot of women, moms today, where they're highly strung, stressed out, and then they get home and they're like, why are the kids so anxious? Why are they acting out something? I'm doing everything perfectly, aren't I? And I say to them, your kids are just absorbing you. They're just absorbing who you are. Doesn't matter what you say, they're just absorbing who you are. Amen? Fathering is a choice. There's a choice we can make today as fathers in this nation. There's a choice we can make today. And here are some key mandates I want to give you, fathers. What is a father supposed to do? I know some of you here are how-to people. Paul, show me how to. Okay, let's break it down. Number one, the mandate of a father is to bless. God has called you to bless. Amen. That's a mandate you've been given to bless. In Genesis 49 verse 26, it's a good example of a father's blessing. And it's very interesting because we see an example here of Jacob 
And we're going to be dedicating a Jacob this morning of Jacob blessing Joseph. And he blessed his other sons. Genesis 49 verse 26. It says here, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains. This is Jacob as he was blessing Joseph. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Fathers in this place, God has called you to bless your children. And one of the things the Lord has been showing me is that there's the formal blessing and there's the informal blessing. Amen? There's the formal blessing where you sit down and you say, I'm blessing you, my son. A blessing always manifests in what you say. There's the informal blessing in what you declare over your children. I had a beautiful moment with my sons just the other night because as I was praying for them before they went to bed, I just thought, wow, God, you've called me to be a generator for them, an originator for them, to literally shape their identity. And I began to just declare things over them and say, everything your hands will touch tomorrow will prosper. God has given you great minds. Amen. That's the informal blessing. I want to encourage you, those of you who are fathers here, and even if you're not fathers of your own biological children, but you've got nephews, you've got nieces around you, each time they're around you, use that as an opportunity to speak a blessing over them. It will literally shape their lives. Amen. There's an interesting story told of Charles Spurgeon. How many of you remember Charles Spurgeon? One of the greatest preachers of all time. A traveling preacher took 10-year-old Charles, sat him on his knee and prophesied, this child will one day preach the gospel and he will preach it to great multitudes. I am persuaded that he will preach in the chapel of Roland Hill. That's what he said. He called all present to witness what he had said and then gave Charles a coin as a reward if he would learn the hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. Years later, that prophecy was fulfilled. Spurgeon comments, did the words of Mr. Null help to bring about their own fulfillment? I think so. I believed them and looked forward to the time when I should preach the word. Isn't that powerful? He goes on to say that he wasn't even yet converted when that happened. He wasn't even yet converted when that happened. But those words spurred him on to seek the Lord's salvation. Isn't that powerful? I remember when I was born, I was born in my rural home. My grandmother was a nurse and we had a clinic. She had a clinic at our rural home. And... I find it interesting because we've got, we have four boys in our family. My younger brother's over there, uh, William. He's the youngest uh, of the four boys. And what is interesting is my mom first had David, my older brother, and then she was really keen for a girl, right? And then she, you know, in those days we didn't have scans and that kind of thing, right? And so uh, my grandmother then held me up after I was born. And obviously I must have been quite well endowed already because they saw that, okay, you've got another boy, right? And it was a Sunday morning. Everyone had gone to church. And my mother there and then, I want to show the women here, you also have power to bless. This is not just a thing for fathers. It's one of the primary purposes for fathers, but a mother can also do so. Because there and then, my mom said, God, you've given me another boy. It's a Sunday morning. Everyone has gone to church. I dedicate him to you this day that he will serve you. I began to preach at the age of 12. Radical. Lots of people being saved. I haven't known another way. Parents, you've got the power this morning to bless your children, to declare things over them, even before they know God. I was preaching to my whole family as a young boy, 12, 13. I'd preach to them. I was the first one who was saved. Ask them, ask them the stories. Amen. What we declare over our children at a young age, we see coming to pass. And sometimes we might not even do it knowingly, but it's powerful. Amen. Fatherhood is a choice. So the first mandate is to do what? To bless. The second mandate, fathers, is to protect. As a father, you're called to protect. 
from what do we need to protect our children? We have to protect them physically. We have to protect them spiritually. We have to protect them emotionally. We have to protect them sexually. We have to protect them morally. As a father, you are responsible for the moral climate in your home. Be very careful what you abdicate to your wife. There are a lot of things men today are abdicating to their wives and God has called them to do. It shouldn't be your wife who's the one who's primarily concerned about, oh, have we got a block on DSTV? Oh, what programs are kids watching? Oh, have we got an antivirus and child safety thing on the internet for the children? That's not the primary responsibility of their mother. As fathers, we're called to protect our children. You know what the saddest thing for me is today in society? That many times government has to step in to protect children from their own fathers. Isn't that sad? And you know what? It's always been like this. It's not just something happening today. Think of Lot. Think of Lot. Remember what Lot did in Genesis 19 verse 8. There were two angels that came to his house. And the people who were big on homosexuality, etc. Right? In Sodom. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah and God destroyed it? Right? And these guys wanted to have sexual relations with these angels. Now in ancient time, what you did with your guests was very important. You can't have a guest coming to your house and they end up defiled by someone else. They were big on that. And Lot ends up basically doing what? Look at it here for those of you who don't know. It says, now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you. And do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men. Inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Lot was willing to offer up his daughters to these men. To literally gang rape them. And you know we laugh and we think this is so extreme. But if you look at what ha what's happening today. If you look at what's happening in a lot of our townships today. It's not a safe place for girls, for the girl child to just walk around. I know some people will say, I'm sending my daughter to boarding school in a place like Zimbabwe. Just so that she's protected from what's happening around in our communities. And it's not just in the townships, by the way. You see, God has called us as fathers to protect our children. You know what's interesting is a thing came out in the UK where there, were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of binge drinking happening amongst teenagers. And guess what they found? The access they were getting to alcohol was primarily from the liquor cupboards in their parents' homes. God has called us to protect our children from addictions. I could carry on. The third mandate that you've been given as a father is the mandate to model. The mandate to model. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 to 16. It says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Can you see that there's a link between fathering and imitation? There's a link between fathering and imitation. My kids are always wearing their sports gears, sports gears and so on. But they've been saying to me, they've been hounding me saying, Dad, when are we going to get to wear suits like you do? <laughs> they said, maybe when you go to like some fancy wedding and so on. Dad, the last time we wore something smart like that was when we went to Will and Nangi's wedding. Dad, when are we going to be able to dress like you do? You following? Your children will imitate you. What habits do you have that you're passing on to your kids? I won't go there this morning. Just want to remain in a good mood and everyone is happy. <laughs> Let them see you pray. Don't have your kids just see you doing baby prayers. Oh, Father, please be with the kids and so on. Let them see you in your prayer closet going for it. Praying. That's how they'll learn. So many people who are prayer warriors today, what do they say to me? They say, Paul, you know what? I learned prayer because I would see my grandmother praying. I would see my father praying. Let them see you pray. Let them see you overcome in trials. 
So don't be the kind of dad who never talks about difficulties and challenges. Let them see your difficulties and challenges and then show them how you have faith in God in those situations. Instead of trying to be like the hero that everything is always fine, guys. Show them your faith. The Bible says be imitators of their faith. Let them see you being generous. This is so powerful. I, recently I bought my wife some shoe racks. Multiple shoe racks. <laughs> to put her shoes. <laughs> For there are many. <laughs> you know like Legion, that demon that Jesus cast out? We are called Legion, for we are many. <laughs> That's the name of my wife's shoes. <laughs> so I bought her this, the, these, these racks to put her shoes on. The other day I came and I saw a number of gaps in the rack and I said, where are all your shoes? I gave them away. And then one of our kids was in the room and asked, why did you give them away? And as I walked out, I said, oh my love, that's an opportunity to teach him something. Are you, are you hearing where I'm coming from? Let your kids see you giving. When we do those outreaches like the GOP outreach, don't just go as adults. Take the children to see that there are other people who, can't, who don't have food. Let them see your generosity. Sometimes if I'm tipping someone or giving a car guard something, my kids are sometimes shocked by how much I'm giving the person because I want to be spirit-led in that. It's not always about, these guys always get my loose change. Sometimes God can actually say, sow into this person's life and watch what I'll do in your life. So when my kids are seeing, you're giving him notes, you're giving him, Dad, why are you doing that? It's an opportunity for them to see what you're modeling and they end up being like that. Amen? Lysias is not here today but one of the stories he tells is how he grew up in a family where his mom would just take in anyone doesn't matter who the person is and he says you know what I'm also like that today it's a value I have but it was passed on because I saw that being modeled your children won't just do what they see you doing they'll do they won't, they won't just do what they hear you say they'll do what they see you doing you pass on who you are amen be careful of passing on stinginess some, pe some parents don't think about what they're saying Oh wait guys Your kids want to be generous and give away some. Oh wait where is that going Do you know how much this costs <laughs> Do you know what you're doing You're actually passing on the spirit of mammon To your children Mammon is the demonic spirit That controls the use of money Mammon can manifest itself in very poor extremes in this country and very wealthy extremes in this country. It's the fear of lack. And you find that with the poor people, they're bound by mammon because they're just scared like, will I survive? Will I have enough money? And with the very rich people, they're bound by anxiety, by that mammon spirit because they're afraid of losing it. These guys are afraid of not having it. These guys on the other extreme are afraid of losing it. And for some of you with your children, just be very careful. It's not just habits you pass on, but it's also spirits. So we are called to model something to the next generation. Let them see you being generous. What are you not letting your children see and why? Are you modeling tenderness? Your children need to see you, gentlemen. They need to see you loving your wife. You know, this is one of the first things a good parent is to do. The gift of parenting, the rule number one, is your marriage. When my kids see my wife hugging me or me hugging my wife, especially Daniel, he comes and he joins in. When they see your tenderness towards each other, it makes them feel secure. The next mandate is to model. It's to, we said modeling, it's to lead. Fathers, you're called to lead. Joshua 24 verse 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Some of you in your families have to just make that decision. Who are we going to serve? Choose this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites. In whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I had to do a baby blessing yesterday afternoon. The dad is Muslim, the mom is from a Christian background. That's the setup. And they said, okay, Paul, can you do the Christian version? So I did it for the older sibling a couple of years ago. Then they want me to do it for the younger sibling now. 
And so of course when I prayed I dedicated the child to the Lord Bound the child to Christ You know <laughs> Sometimes you just have to use these opportunities You know what I'm talking about But you have a lot of parents out there who say We just want our children to discover for themselves Who they will serve We don't want to force them We won't say anything I don't know if you know that You have to choose fathers Who are we going to serve and you do it for those number of years that your children are under your care. Then afterwards they can make their own decision. But your job is to say, as the leader in this household, this is what we're going to do. Our family is a church-going family. We go to church. There are certain things I've said to my kids. We've said to our kids, in this, in this household, we don't do this. It's our stance. In this household, we don't do this. Yes, you saw your friends doing it in their household, but in this household, we don't do it. And then you know there's some of those words Where they're borderline Some people think they're swear words Some people think they're not Some of them are swear words in this country In Australia they're not <laughs> In Australia a lot, a lot of stuff is not a swear word Right? And so the kids come home and say But so and so's dad said this But so and so's dad well, This is how we operate here As long as you're under this roof This is how you function Amen? So you are called to lead. Leading biblically involves serving. Leading in taking accountability. Being the first one to say sorry. Being the first one to say it was I. Leclerc. Sorry, that's from a movie. Okay. <laughs> right? Leading in taking accountability. Leading in visioneering. Saying this is where we're going as a family. You're painting a picture of a preferred future for your household. Leading in commitment to God. Leading in setting values and standards. Where it's clear these are our standards as a family. Leading by what you model. Leading by taking initiative. Leading by setting direction. Leading by ongoing evaluation. Great leaders. That's what we do. Ongoing evaluation. Where we sit down and we say, guys, what is the level of holiness in this family? Let's, let's discuss. Let's unpack it. Where are we at? Ongoing evaluation. Leading by stewardship. You're morally responsible, dads. You're morally responsible for the home before God. There are questions that leaders ask. They ask, where are we now? They ask, where do we need to go? They ask, where must we, what, where, what must we do to get there? They ask those questions. As I draw towards the close... Leaders, so important. Next mandate, to give identity. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate them. What I do with my kids and how I am and my heart toward them will affect their identity. Colossians 3 verse 21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. How you treat your wife reinforces in your daughter a sense of significance or worthlessness. Your daughter might grow up just saying like, but dad never respected mom. So what's important about me as a female? Think about that. Those of you with daughters. It impacts your son with regards to how they end up treating the opposite sex. Just how you treat your wife. Next mandate, to disciple and to teach. That's your priestly role, fathers. To disciple and to teach. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 to 9, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's not talking about just in church. It's talking about what happens at home. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. What does that require on your part? Here are the key questions that priests ask. Do my kids know God? Remember as father you are priest of your household. Do my children know God? Do they have an accurate view of God? Does our home honor God? Are we growing in holiness? What do they need to know? What do they need to do? Who do they need to be? How do they best learn? What's their learning style? When and how will I teach them in this season of their life? 
You see, we want to pass on godly worship to the next generation. And then finally, the mandate to love. The mandate to love. Let me just say this. A lot of women, their biggest struggle is that their husbands are not initiating family worship at home. It's so important. You've got a mandate to love. Mpo, you can come and start tinkling. Where's Mpo? You can come and tinkle away. Do your thing. Fathers are called to love as God loves. It's a hard thing. Fathers are called to love as God loves. In Malachi 4 verse 6 it says, He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Could it be that we have lands today, nations today that have been stricken by destruction simply because the hearts of the fathers have not turned to the children and the hearts of the children have not turned to the fathers. You see, God has called you, dads in this place, to be a lover. Not just a lover to your wife, but a lover to your children. I'm talking about an interesting type of love. I'm talking about expressing affection and emotion. Here are the questions that lovers ask. How are my kids really doing? Do they sense my approval and acceptance? Are we connecting at a deep level? What do my children need from me that only I can give them? Am I demonstrating empathy? How are you going to do this? Provide them tender love unconditionally and make sure you're emotionally intelligent. Amen. These are the mandates of a father. As I said at the start, I'm speaking to sons and daughters. You now know these mandates. Ask yourself, where are the gaps, cracks and leakages in my heart? Where have I been wounded? Forgive your fathers. A lot of times they didn't know what they were doing. They were fathering you as best as they could. Forgive them, release them, so that, that cycle doesn't continue to the next generation. The second group I was addressing this morning, it's those who are fathers-to-be and those who are currently fathers. Look at these mandates, study them, pray into them. We're going to put the prayer strategy up by tomorrow morning and you'll be praying into them, looking at all the verses. There's some things I haven't covered. And ask yourself, where am I at as a father? Am I bringing freedom to my family? Are there things I've abdicated to my wife that I shouldn't abdicate? And the third group that I was addressing this morning, wives, mothers, help your husbands to father. Don't work against their calling as a father. Amen. Those of you who are not yet married, don't just think, oh, this guy's nice as a boyfriend. Oh, he's nice as a boyfriend. No, what is he going to be like as the father of your children? Are you going to have to drag him to church? Are you going to have to force him to do devotions with the children? Is he a father who will be able to teach your family to go to their next level spiritually? That's what you look for when you're looking for a husband. Not just, is he a nice boyfriend? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray.